example. I didn't. My folks didn't go to church. Maybe on Mother's Day and, and Easter, that'd be it, or Christmas and Mother's Day, something like that. So maybe you didn't have that example. And you, you're thinking, I don't know if I know how to serve. These people all know what they're doing. Listen, come alongside the people of Connection. For just like that big dog, there are people who will be patient, not try to push you or force you, who will help you learn how to serve in a way that touches the lives of other people. Connection is not a church that wants to sit. We call ourselves missional. Missional is not what you do because you call yourself that. Missional is what you can call yourself because of what you do in the sense of living and loving like Jesus in relationship to other people. And it's easy to get away from that and live only for yourself. I'm glad you're here this morning. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to open it to the Luke, excuse me, the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, the back part of your Bible, the 11th chapter. We're going to start at the 14th verse. If you've got those New Testaments, you can use, just turn to page 61. If you don't carry a Bible with you and you'd like to take one of those New Testaments on the table, we've always got a fresh supply, so there's one left. Take it and uh, bring it each week, and you can use it, okay? But we want to get there, and we want to, uh, to look and see what Jesus is going to say to us in that setting. Now, remember, Luke didn't walk with Jesus. Luke didn't see Jesus. Luke has come sometime later. I believe his book was written probably around 29 years after Jesus. Now to us, that may seem like a long time. For writings of antiquity, that's just a brief experience. Luke has went and talked to people. He is doing this because there's a man who has asked him, to go and check out the things that that man has heard about Jesus. And so Luke goes to the place where Jesus had walked. He goes and meets people. Today we're going to, talk, we're going to meet a man who couldn't speak because he had demons. Luke would have went and talked to that man. Now Luke was a doctor. In other words, Luke was a man of science. He was a man of intellect. And he would have known the right questions to ask. And Luke writes this book. And in the very beginning, in the first chapter, verses 2 and 3, he tells the fellow he's writing to, listen, I have carefully investigated all this so that you can be sure, you can be certain that what you have heard is true. Luke, as a man who uses his intelligence, is checking things out and he's writing it. And God has preserved this book as one of the four Gospels for you and I, okay? Not written 500 years later or 2,000 years later, but written still in the time period that people who were alive during Jesus' day could have said, it's all a lie. It didn't happen that way. So if you say, well, anybody could write anything, understand, writings of antiquity, okay? Writings of antiquity were, antiquity were scarce, and when people wrote, it took effort, and they were writing to help us understand what was taking place. And so we're going to look here, and this is a very important passage. I told you last week I thought it was just super important because it dealt with prayer, and I think a lot of Christians do not have very much power in their prayer. They don't, okay? And if you remember, I talked about it. One of those reasons was, if you remember, 
Christians aren't willing to forgive others who have hurt them, somehow cause pain into their lives. Jesus said, man, that just stops your prayer power real quick. So you can say, I'm praying, but if you're harboring their feelings towards someone, I'm sorry they hurt you. Look, Jesus said, not Mike Davis, just look at the first part of Luke 11. Jesus says that creates problems in your prayer experience with God. Also, it needs to be a personal experience. Well, he moves off of that, and Luke tells us that he meets a man who's going through struggles in his life, just like you and I. And Jesus helps us understand why struggles come. And for some of us, we're going to think, "Woo, weird what Jesus is going to say. Because usually when the church talks about it, they talk about it in a, a crazy way, not just a real way that we know is true. And so you look with me there at the 14th verse. And if you don't have your Bible, then look on the screen. Look what it says. One day, Jesus cast out a demon, a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. Now, Jesus is always changing things for the better. The only people who felt Jesus didn't change things for the better were people who were caught up in religious tradition. They always thought Jesus was butting in and Jesus was saying things that weren't true. Jesus always changes things for the better. And so he meets this man. Maybe he's a husband. Maybe he's somebody's son. Maybe he's somebody's father. And he cannot talk. And Jesus helps us understand that it is a demon that is keeping him from being able to communicate with his people. And so Jesus is telling us demons are real. And if you've been traveling, Luke, with me, look, we learn some things again and again. And one of those things Jesus teaches us is that demons are real. We have trouble with that because, you see, you look at it on TV and it scares us. Somebody talks about it and it gets weird in the way that, come up here, I'm going to knock you over, get that demon out of you. Okay? And we think, wow, that, that, that's, that's just stupid. And that is stupid. Because we don't see that kind of stuff in what is happening here. That is what people have done to try to work up the emotions of other people. I call that working up the spirit. I've told you before, when Matt and I have talked about worship, we don't work up the spirit in connections worship. That comes from God. And people who will listen to God, they'll pay attention to the words that are on the songs, and they'll feel that. The spirit will work himself up in them. And why does he do it? Because you see this world works your spirit down. It wants to tear you down. It wants to say, I'm going to wear you out. It wants to say you made a mistake. It wants to say you can't get past your, what happened in the past. I met a man this week who had been arrested, and he was trying to apologize. And I said, hey, I called him by name. I said, listen. We all got a past. If you hang around with people, a connection, they don't deal with the past. They deal with what God can do in the future. Well, Jesus meets this man, and he's got a problem that a demon, a demon is keeping him from speaking. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus casts a demon out because Jesus always does that which makes things better. Don't tell me if you're married that you're honoring Jesus and you're making that relationship with your mate better, I mean worse. Don't tell me you're honoring Jesus. Don't tell me if you're a parent and you're helping your children and yet it's making relationships with others worse that you're doing what Jesus wants you to do. And that's hard for us to acknowledge. Don't tell me that you're in a church 
and you're trying to create chaos or division, but you're doing what Jesus wants you to do. Jesus always makes things better. Always. And we see him touch this man's life, and he casts a demon out of this man. Now look how verse 4 goes on. It says, one day Jesus cast a demon from a man who couldn't speak, and when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. Now, the next four words I'd recommend you circle so that when you read this passage this week or next year, you'll think about this. It says, the crowds were amazed. And that's important to understand. The crowds were amazed. Wouldn't you have been amazed if you'd been there and if you'd known this man couldn't speak and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and he cast out this demon? Okay, And you see, how he does it is not what God wants us to know. You, you get into people who get into this stuff, man, they're telling you you got to have formula, you got to have a way, you got to do it a certain thing, get in line, slay you in the spirit, things like that. I'm telling you, folks, God doesn't tell us that. He just says there's a problem in this man's life, and it's created by a demon, and Jesus gets rid of the demon, and the people are amazed. And I'm going to tell you, when... A person lives and loves like Jesus. Things happen in their life, and it amazes the people who are around them. Just like Jesus amazed the people around him. He always does that, and he does that through you and I. Somebody told me something that happened, and I just said to them this morning before worship, and I said, you know, God's just amazing, isn't he? And they said, yeah, God's amazing. Well, look, we see that in Jesus' life. If you have a message map, turn to the page with some some blanks on it. There's a sermon page in there. Look there at the first blank. Look what I have written there. When an individual lives and loves like Jesus, others are amazed. And then I ask the question, does your life cause others to be amazed? Okay. Does your life cause others to be amazed? Listen, some of you have had such a change that your parents or your brothers and sisters or your children, have, they're, they're sort of amazed. You know what they're waiting? They want to see if it can last. See, because we're all skeptical. We're going to see skepticism in a little bit. They want to know if it lasts. Look, look, today Jesus makes a difference. If I will do some things in my life, he'll make a difference tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. If I don't today, he does an amazing thing in my life. But tomorrow, all of a sudden, a lot of crud in my life again. And some of you know the amazing thing that Jesus is doing either in your life or people you know who've been involved in connection. And so I ask you, is your life, is your life, does your life cause others to be amazed? Man, I can't believe you're so forgiving. I got an email from somebody just this week who had to move out of state that used to come to Connection. And they wrote and they told a testimony about somebody who's a part of Connection. And they said, we watched the person's husband and that person, the lady and her husband. She wrote, she said, we watched that person. We knew the hurt that was brought into their family. And what drew, drew us to Connection and that person wrote later, we're trying to live that, is that we saw the forgiveness in the life of that person at Connection. Who are you harboring something against? And you justify it. We all could justify holding ill feelings. Who might you amaze because you say, I don't think they're doing right if they hurt you, but you refuse to harbor the ill feelings. Now, someone says, someone says, whenever you talk about demons, how come we don't see that today? 
How come we don't see this, this casting out of demons today? Now, I'm telling you, some churches really practice that, okay? And I'm going to tell you the reason we don't say, hey, let's get a line and form a line and cast out demons is because, you see, they didn't have any New Testament. They didn't understand this about demons. They just knew they were affected, okay? And so Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus talks about what's creating the problems in their life. And he's saying, and he's going to talk about it again. He says, there's another power or another kingdom out there, and it's of Satan. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Well, now you and I have the New Testament. We can read about this, and we can understand. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, how we can overcome demons. It's not in a formula of words. It's not in some kind of special service. Listen, demons are constantly seeking to bombard us. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Anyone, anyone can speak a formula and yet not believe in the power of God. If you don't want demons impacting your life in a victorious way, in their victorious way, then you just got to hang out with Jesus. And you got to learn about Jesus. And you got to let Jesus come alive through you. That's what the scriptures teach. Look on the screen. Look on the screen. You see, there's people who are religious, but they're not followers of Jesus. Look what it says. Jesus said this. Matthew, Matthew who wrote, walked with Jesus. Matthew who touched Jesus, ate with Jesus. Matthew wrote these words. He says, knowing the correct, and this is from the Message Bible. This isn't from the living, New Living Translation. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. Jesus is talking. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my Father wills. A lot of folks going to church. Forget that line right there. Doing what my Father wills. Verse 22, I can see it now. At the final judgment, look what Jesus says. I mean, this is in-your-face stuff. This is why they hung him on a cross. This is why you'd want to do away with anybody who would teach you this if you don't want to live by this. This is in-your-face I can see it now at the final judgment. Thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. That's why I pulled this scripture out, see? Because there's people who saying, I taught Sunday school. I helped teach people. And, and I cast out demons. I want to tell you, the show isn't about demons. The show is about Jesus. Do you understand that? He says, and bashed the, the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. In other words, we did, we did community loving activities for God. And everybody was talking about us. Verse 23, and do you know what I am going to say, Jesus says, on that final judgment? You missed the boat. You read that in the New International Version of the Bible, which many of you might have grew up with. He says, get away from me. You've missed a boat. Look what he said. All you did was use me to make yourself important. In other words, your relationship with me was only about what you could get out of it. It was never about what I wanted, Jesus. See, I have to evaluate myself by that. I have to evaluate in my marriage with Laura. Why do I behave the way I can so that she'll be easy to live with? Why do I relate to you the way I do? See, why, why am I forgiving? Why am I caring? Why am I loving? Is it so that you like me? See, Jesus says, I've watched you. 
You're only doing what's important to you. And look, he goes on. You don't. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. 24, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not just making some suggestions to you. I'm not just telling you something that's just good information. And some preaching, some teaching is that way. It's all prosperity, and it never rubs you raw. It never gets you where you're at. 24, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. In other words, it's just not to make life a little bit better for you. They are, look what he says, foundational words, words to build a life on. In other words, God's word transforms us. He goes on, if if you work these words into your life, He's not saying you're perfect. And if any church person ever tells you you've got to be perfect and you never sin, I wouldn't hang out with those folks anymore. If anyone ever tells you you don't want to forgive, if anyone ever tells you you don't want to harbor ill feelings, if anyone else ever tells you you don't want to get angry, if anybody tells you you don't want to say a cuss word, if anyone says you don't feel like flipping somebody off, I wouldn't hang out with those kinds of Christians. Because you see, we all get bombarded with that. He says, they are foundational words, words to build your life on. If you work these words into your life, and see, that word work means you've got to give some effort to it. You've got to give some time to it. You can't, you can't have a job and go to that and not do some effort toward it if you're going to get the, the, the compensation from it. That's what he's trying to say. Words into your life. They are like a smart carpenter who builds his house on solid rock. You see, it is the transformation that the Word of God in your life does that builds rock-solid rock foundation. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And so when we talk about demon involvement, we've got to realize, am I living for the Lord? Am I letting Him have His way in my life? Look at this next blank on your message map. Fill in that blank. It is the continuous action of following Jesus' words that brings the power to rid off demons. You don't need... And please, I don't have any trouble praying. May the demon be gone out of this person. But you don't need that kind of stuff. What you need to do is evaluate it. When that demon is bombarding you, are you following God's word? Man, I could hit Laura. I could get her, get even with her and take revenge. See that demon? You say something I don't like, I'm just going to not be around you anymore. I'm just going to hate you. Hear that demon? I got to do what Jesus said. Jesus says, listen, you married this woman. You be a husband who dies for that woman. Even when we're in an argument, Lord, you be the man that dies for his wife. That's what Jesus says. Pull that right out of Scripture. But you, you, mean, you mean they hurt me terribly? I can't, I can't be upset with them? Jesus said, if you don't forgive... Listen, God's not going to forgive you. Right out of it, Scripture. Whenever you live according to His Word, the demons can't have any influence into your life. Look at, look at, go on verse 15 in Luke 11. But some of them said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Now let me just say this. There's always skepticism. Some people are watching this saying, you know what? Jesus is of the devil. And what they're trying to do is discount it. 
say, you know what, that preacher's of the devil. You know what, my mom and dad's acting like the devil. Or you probably wouldn't say they're like the devil. You're probably saying, they're all wrong. You probably hopefully wouldn't say the preacher is serving the devil. You just say the preacher's all wrong. You see, they don't, they don't want to believe this. An amazing thing has happened, but they forgot the amazing thing because their emotions don't want to believe it. And so they attribute his power to something that is wrong. And since he's talked about the demons, they attribute it to, this is of the devil. This cannot be of God. Now, I want you to understand, Satan is a fallen angel. The Bible teaches that. Demons are fallen angels. Jesus has no trouble with demons. When you see in the movie that the demons are defeating anybody who's living like Jesus, that is not of the Bible. That is man's creation because man wants you to be afraid. Jesus created the angels. There's nothing in creation that is stronger than Jesus. That's why these demons, this demon's gone. Jesus has that power. And when Jesus lives in you, I'm going to tell you there is a power that impacts. Just like one of you impact that lady and her husband, and they're trying to live it in that state because you were willing to let go. And they told me who you was, were, and they told me how you had been hurt. And I am so proud to be in this room with you today. See, demons can't stand up to Jesus. Look, 16 goes on. Others, see, others try to test him. See, they don't believe this stuff, even though it's amazing. The crowd was amazed. They don't want to listen to Jesus, just like you may hear something that God gets into your mind with, but you don't want to listen to Jesus. And so you just find your reasons to explain it away. It's just others trying to test Jesus. They aren't looking for an answer. They want to try to make him fail the test demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. In other words, these are people who are saying, show us some more, show us some more, show us some more. That's what they are. And be careful that you're not that kind of Christian. Come on, God, if you're real, show me again, show me again. He showed you. Live with what he showed you. If you'll be responsible for what he showed you, he'll work in great ways in your life. These people, they're not interested in Jesus. They want, to, they want to make him look out like a fool. That's why, you know, some of you got friends who would just love for Christian people to fail. They want to hear of the pastor who sleeps around. They want to hear about a person in the church who is being unfaithful, who got arrested, who was thrown in jail. They, the news, the news is always putting Christian failure on the screen, not Christian successes. See, these are those kinds of people. They don't care about Jesus. Now look at the next four words in verse 17. Underline those words. He knew their thoughts. Because when you read this, I want you to understand, Jesus knows our thoughts. He knows if I'm preaching an honest sermon or I'm preaching a dishonest sermon. He knows if I'm showing genuine love toward Laura based upon him, not my feelings. Because sometimes my feelings says, I don't want to love her. Boy, I get my time with God and he says, you go love her. And I'm sure it's the same for her. My kids, we've talked about that. I could tell you a story someday. When my oldest son first saw divorce in one of his closest friends' lives, and he wanted to know how could he know our marriage could stand. I said, maybe it can't. And then he had to go into the commitment to Christ, and that's what holds us together. You see, he's trying to... Tell these, or Luke's helping us understand that Jesus knows what people are thinking. 
You're not playing a game with him. You play the game. He knows the reality. You don't love him. He knows that. Or he knows you do. And listen, listen. He knows when you fail, you do love him. And you crushed. And you're so ashamed. And he hears that. He hears that. The Bible talks about the Spirit speaking for us. Oh, God, I don't know what to say. Oh, you may not even say those words. You just crushed. You're crushed. You've fallen as a Christian. The Spirit is communicating with the Father for you. And God knows you love him. That's why you're hurting, because the wrong is taking over in your life. But God is a good God. He's a good God. He knows your thoughts. Don't let Satan throw you out because you get thinking you're not worthy of him. We're going to see that in a little bit. Look at 17. He knew their thoughts, so he said, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. Now listen, he's going to talk in a little bit. What he's trying to say is, you know the struggle that goes on when you want to do what is good, what is right, and you can't do it. That's civil war. They're talking about he's of the devil. He, that's going to come up in a little bit. But what he's trying to say is you know civil war that takes place in your life. Folks, I know the civil war that takes place in my life. Wanting to do good, but not doing it. You following? Wanting to love, but not wanting to love. Wanting to be faithful, but wanting to throw in the town, give it all up. Now he says, if you don't recognize the civil war, you're doomed. So you've got to realize that there is that battle going on. If you don't, it overwhelms you. Now he goes on. Look what he says. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Now we know that's true. Every parent knows that's true. Come on, kids, we've got to get together. We can't be this way and be a good family. He's talking about in our spiritual life. If I am feuding inside all the time, I'm going to fall apart. He goes on. You say I am empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? Just a truism. You can't be divided and survive because Jesus casting out demons, and yet demons are under Satan's control to keep you and I from living up to the potential God wants us to have, you see, the demon says, you know what? You can't make it. The demon says, you know, you're a failure. The demon says, you're too introverted. The demon says, you don't have enough sense. The demon says, you didn't have good parents. The demon says, you know what happened to you in the past? You can't get past that. See, the demon wants to pull you down from your potential. And so he's saying, a kingdom can't get divided and survive. He goes on in 19, and if I am empowered by Satan... What about your own exorcist? What about those other people who say they can bring spiritual healing? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, look what he says, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. In other words, he says you've got to look. You've got to evaluate the situation. He's saying you can see the kingdom of God. Just look at me. Look at Jesus. He says, you can hear the kingdom of God. Just listen to my words, Jesus' words, say. He's saying, you can feel the kingdom of God in your presence. If you will just experience Jesus, and I'm going to tell you, sometimes, sometimes, you are in worship. If you're a regular tender and you so experience the kingdom of God, you so feel it, 
because you are just experiencing what Jesus wants you to experience and know. And sometimes you don't want whatever's being told to end because you're listening to the kingdom of God. And sometimes you're in the experience that you're just seeing and it's just so amazing that you don't want it to end. Jesus is telling them, listen, in me, in Christ, you see the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Satan. The doubters and the skeptics always see the kingdom of Satan. He's saying, you can see the kingdom of God. You can feel the kingdom of God. Look, he goes on in 21. For when a strong man, now look what he says, like Satan, is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Okay? Now, the next verse is very important. I would recommend you underline it. Verse 23. He says, because he just said, Satan's okay unless there's someone who comes who's stronger. Now look what he says. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Now, folks, we all live in this world full of conflict. Today you can have the best marriage. Satan's going to try to bring an influence to bring conflict. Today, your family can be all together. Satan's going to try to bring an influence to bring conflict. Today, where you go to work, it's just great. Morale's good. Satan's going to try to bring conflict. See, we all live in this world of conflict. And Jesus is trying to say, look, your security and your safety is what is tied with me in the midst of this. And if you aren't with me, you oppose me. And guess what you will do? You will create that conflict by your wrong action you will add to the sin by your action you will by your own selfish thoughts create things that are not true and you'll make statements that aren't true now i know i'm connecting with you folks but if you're living and loving like jesus you evaluate all those things your words your actions and your thoughts and you see this strong man whom is Jesus. He brings you the opportunity for success in a world full of conflict. Listen, folks. Jesus is this strong man. I want to emphasize this again. Here's our problem. Now listen to me. We see Jesus because of the pictures and the portrayal in the media as some feminine person. He's got this long flowing hair, light skin, blue eyes. Matter of fact, I don't think a movie has ever been made about Jesus where an actual Jew has played him. Because you see, we don't like that kind of Jesus. We want something that looks... Jesus didn't have long flowing hair. That would have been against his Jewish practice. His hair might have been on his shoulders, but it wouldn't have been long flowing. And Jesus wouldn't have looked feminine in what he did. His body would have been strong. Jesus was a man's man. He worked. He worked at a lumber experience. He would have picked up wood. His arms would have been toned. I want you young guys to understand this. Jesus was a man's man. He wasn't some ladies' man. And yet that's what the world shows us. Because you've got to understand, Jesus is strong. 
and he was strong when it came to standing up to the conflict that this world throws at us. Oh, I wanted to take you to a couple of his, his struggles with Satan, but there's just not enough time in the scriptures. And he always just went back to God's word against his own emotions, against his own feelings. And he says, if you are with that strong man, then that's what brings your victory in the face of difficult marriages, difficult families, difficult work environments, difficult societies. Now he goes on in 24. When an evil spirit leaves a person, now this is a very important process to remember. Boy, I remember this. See, I, I claim to have inferiority complex. I believe that's demon influence. Now, I'm the baby, and I was a little guy. Whenever I was, real, whenever I was young, whenever I was real small, I was a little guy. That's smart. And I used to just attribute it that. Now I tell myself it's just demonic influence. It's just demonic influence. Listen to what he says. When an evil spirit leaves a person, in other words, the, the person gets cleaned. The influence of the demon is gone. And the person can sense things are well inside me, inside my mind, inside my body. Look what he says. It goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. And so it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. In other words, life is going well. But listen, it's swept clean. There's nothing new inside of it. And you see, some of you come and you hear on a Sunday morning or in a connect group something that just gets you excited for the Lord. But you go into Sunday afternoon or Monday. And you're not putting that something else into that house that God has cleaned through that experience. That's what he's saying. Look what he says. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so the person is worse off than before. Now understand, the reason the person is worse off is because you and I begin to tell ourselves, it doesn't work with me. I've tried church. I've tried Jesus. I've tried prayer. I've tried Bible. I've tried that Christian stuff. But you know, it doesn't work. See, that's what happens. And it's worse than before. And all of a sudden, the demons have all the control in your life. You're not listening to anything that would come from God. Because God keeps trying to bring it in. You're listening to all those demons. And you're worse off than you were before. How many times have I seen people who are Christian that start again and again and again? But every time they give up for a while until somehow God gets through and it can make a difference. How many churches have you started up with? How many times have you started in a connect group and got away or started in a Sunday school class and got away? How many times have you started reading the Bible and got away? How many times have you started prayer and got away? And pretty soon you say, I'm just going to give up. See, you've got to put something in that house because if you don't, it gets worse. Listen to me. America, America, I know what historians are going to tell you. Did all Americans who came to this land talk about Christ? No. Did many of them, a majority of them, talk about God as a Jew or Christ as a Christian? Yes. And America started with Christ and just had so much successes. And then what happened is we forgot it was God who brings victory. Not that we have 
people who instead of saying, I pledge allegiance to the American flag, it's trying to make our people say, I pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ. Christians ought to be willing to do that, but you don't make your society do that. But the society was so impacted. For somebody to give you a finger, other people would have said, that's wrong. For someone to take something from the store, other people would have said, that's wrong. But you know, America has removed the influence of Christ in their life. And listen, seven demons have come back. And we know we're not getting better as a society. Communities have tried to improve. They've created all kinds of organizations to help help children who have been abandoned by their parents, big brothers, big sisters. They've created all kinds of, of, of hotlines to help people who've been abused. But you know we leave Christ out and seven more demons come into that community. And we're not getting better, folks. If I'm making this up after I'm over, after I'm done, tell me we're getting better. We got more social science counselors than America's ever had. Because we're a nation full of emotional and physical pain. And we can't find an answer. Because you see, we've removed Christ and the demons are so impacting people's thoughts and actions and words but you can't control all that you can listen choose to, for the strong man jesus to have his rightful presence in your life and you can see him clean your house and you can make sure you keep putting his words into your life you, even when you don't want to you give him rightful place of honor and all of a sudden he not only cleans your house he's cleaning up somebody else in your house and somebody else how many times have i said from this pulpit i've seen it again and again in 40 years pastoral ministry when god gets hold of one member of the family who will sell out to jesus he so impacts other members over time see that's amazing that's amazing now look at 20 look at look at Verse 27, as he was speaking, a woman, now this lady's really caught up in his words. See, we're not there. You're just hearing from me. As he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came, and the breast that nursed you. This lady is so caught up. She is so caught up with the goodness of Jesus that she says, God bless the lady who went through that pain of bringing your deliverance. And listen, every person here, went through the womb of a woman. And for most women, that wasn't comfortable for nine months. And every one of us ought to be telling her mom, thank you. Yeah, but you don't know what kind of mom I got. She didn't defend me. She didn't stand up for me. I'm telling you. She's just like you. She might have failed you. I'm telling you. You're not saying those are right. This woman's so caught up. She says, man, bless the woman who put up with the pain that brings you. Bless the woman who gave of her own substance, her own body. So you could live. Now look what Jesus says, 28. Underline or circle the entire verse, however you can see this. This is so important. Look what he says. Jesus replied, but even more blessed than my mother Mary. Even more. I mean, there's some Christians who hold Mary almost as high as Jesus. Look what Jesus is saying. But even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and what? Just say they believe it? What's he say there, folks? Put it into practice. More blessed than my mama Mary. 
You've got to put it into practice. Look on the screen. Look at, look at what Paul wrote to Timothy, a, a fellow he mentored in the faith. All Scripture is inspired by God. Look what he says. Timothy, it is useful to teach us, you and me, Timothy, all Christians, what is true. You see, this world's telling you, and you doubt it. Some of you have trouble even believing any truth. All Scripture is inspired by God and teaches us what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. You see, you've got to get into the Scriptures if you're going to be able to live and love like Jesus. You just can't come and hear Mike Davis. My words, my words, I hope, are inspired by God, and I hope the Holy Spirit uses them to impact your mind. But you know what? You've got to open up the Bible that is the Word of God, and you've got to start applying those words to your life. You've got to let them have place. Whenever I don't want to get along with her, or Laura doesn't want to get along with me, or my wife, we've got to apply the Word. When we want to give up on our children, we've got to apply the Word. When our children want to give up on us, they have to apply the Word. When you hurt me or I hurt you, I've got to apply the Word. You've got to apply the Word. See, we've got to put it into practice. And what it does, it makes us able to do all those good things that God created us to do. You see, you got to get into the Word. Look at, look at the next scripture. James wrote this to the, to the early Christians. He said this. This is written to the Christians, not the non-Christians. He says, but don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Look what he says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. So I went to church today. I, I know what God's Word says. Are you living it? You're only fooling yourself. He says, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, here's what it's like. It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see, you see, there's some dirt on your face. Something's wrong with you. You see yourself, and yet you walk away, and you forget what you look like. You see here, you hear something. God is speaking to you. But if you don't put it into practice, it's like looking in a mirror and seeing there's, there's a problem. You need to clean it up. But you walk away, and you forget it. You forget it. That's why, listen, this morning, somebody was eating popcorn. Man, I wished I could eat popcorn. See, I wish I could, but I can't because I'd be shooting you all like a Gatling gun. Okay? But somebody's eating popcorn, and they had some popcorn on their face. And we probably talked about three or four minutes. You know what I kept looking at? <laughs> right there, popcorn. Right there, popcorn. So when we were done, I said, you got some popcorn on your face. And they wiped it off. Now listen, that's that big dog. You understand? Do you catch my analogy? The big dog helped the little dog. Now somebody said, what they got to do with popcorn? Just as I would help somebody wipe that off their face, if you allow me, and there's other men and women who will help mentor you and help you clean up this face, because you know God is wanting you to put into practice His Word. But you've got to give that time. See, He says... If you see yourself and then you walk away and you forget what you look like. Look what he says in 25. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free. And I'm going to tell you, I learned this. Whenever I was 20 years old and those first men started mentoring me, I would tell my wife, I don't need to meet with those men. I don't need to talk to those men because they would get me to open up a little bit of my life. And I was a few weeks before I'd open up because I didn't need anyone. I had five to six years of rebellion to my dad. I didn't trust anybody. I had a trust problem. And I'd tell her, I don't need those men. But a couple of them became friends with me. 
And I kept going to their meetings. And all of a sudden, I started opening up. I started coming clean. And what they do? They didn't counsel me. They got me into the word that was applicable to that area in my life. And the word began to change me. Some of you know that, but you got away from that. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, people, there's others who will help you at connection. You just got to choose to let them help you. And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, look what he says, then God will bless you for doing it. Look at the next blank on your message map. Oh, I tried to think this through. Many Christians know a lot of information concerning God's word. Yes, they have much information, but little transformation. A lot of Christians sit in judgment of preachers and other spiritual leaders and other people. They got a lot of information, but little transformation. Look what I got. Transformation empowerment comes from putting into practice. Now, be honest. Be honest. The Bible says, don't have any other God before God. I want to ask you, is your child your God? Would you tell God to bow before your child's demands? Is your pleasure your God? Would you tell God that you will bow, that he has to bow before your pleasure? It is the priority. Is your emotional attitude of hurt your God? And does God have to bow before your emotional attitude of hurt? The Bible tells us. These things. Transformation power comes by doing what God says. Not because you feel like it, but because you see Jesus is Lord. And that's the struggle. And the demons are going to keep working on the emotion. And God keeps working on the word. And the word, if you spend time with it, begins to influence this. Now listen. And this begins to change this and this. Now let's get back to Luke 29. As the crowds passed in, pressed in on Jesus, Luke 11, 29, the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation, now let me stop, this again is in your face. This is in your face. He's got these people, they're amazed. Now he's talking, he's had this lady who acknowledged, blessed is your mother, Okay. But he's had these other two that were skeptical and even tried to say, you're really of the devil. And so he just calls them for what they are, this evil generation. Every generation believes it's getting better. Every generation believes it's getting better. But it's not. You know that. I'm not telling you anything. If you're a responsible adult, you know that. Every generation is. Does that mean I give up? No. You know what? You know what? My goal is a missional church, and it's, it's, it's the missional concept across America and the world now because missional churches are spreading all over the place. It is that our church exists to change the society we are in, the culture we're in. Because, you see, you and I start changing in such a way that our families have people living in them who are living and loving like Jesus. Where we go to school, people are living and loving like Jesus. Where we work, people are living and loving like Jesus. You all have heard me say, if you've been here very often, I want eventually people to say, I don't know what church you go to, you go to Connection. Not to lift Connection up, so we can say, hey, all we're doing is becoming friends with all people as we live and love like Jesus. How about coming on and finding out how to do that? 
Look at look 20 goes on. He says, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. And you know, you say, God, if you give me the money I want, or you give me the marriage person I want, or you make my car work, or, or you give me the job, I'm going to honor you. See, that's the evil generation. The evil generation is always looking, God, prove yourself when you already have. He has you here this morning to hear this. He's already proved himself. He says, he says, keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. Remember Jonah? Now somebody says, do you really believe Jonah went in the belly of a big fish? Doesn't ever say in the Bible, well, in the belly of a big fish, Jesus says he did. If he did, Jesus is a liar. If Jesus is a liar, he cannot be sinned, and if he's got sin on his life, he cannot be the one who paid for our sin. That was a sinless sacrifice. And he says, you want a you, you sign? You want something? Read God's Word. God's Word tells you about Jonah. Look, verse 30. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh. You and I just have it recorded, but it was a sign to them. Jonah could tell them. Listen, you and I are reading it 3,000, about 3,400 years later. Jesus is telling it when it's only about maybe 1,400 years later. But for the people of Jonah, of Nineveh, it happened just that past week. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? But this world's got us saying we can't trust the Bible because it's 2,000 years old. You can't trust any writing of history then. He says, the people of Nineveh, that God had sent him. In other words, Jonah says, you know, I didn't want to come here. I ran away, and God found me in the ocean. I can tell you the story, I don't have time. And a big fish swallowed me, threw me up on land. And I said, okay, God, I'm going back to Nineveh, or I'm going to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't like those people. He hated those people. His emotions was, let those people die and go to hell. I want nothing to do with them. But God changed Jonah, and he come and he told those people. And what happened? They changed. Look what he says. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. In other words, they're going to watch. Nobody. That's why I tell people who do not know Jesus, read the Gospel of John, meet the character. Jesus did nothing bad. Jesus just loved folks and cared for people, and he cared for the down-and-out people. And yet they put him on a cross. And you see, the sign for us is his crucifixion and his resurrection. That's our sign. Jesus is telling you, you want a sign? It's coming. And you see, they're going to be there. They're going to live during that time. And they're either going to say, I believe or I don't. You and I now, we hear about that sign. Trusting a guy like Luke who tells us about that sign. Now he goes on. He said, 31, the queen of Sheba. See, these, they, they, these people, they got Jewish backgrounds. They know of Jonah. They know of Solomon and the queen of Sheba. He says, the queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation because this generation doubts Jesus, that generation there. He says, will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. You can read her story in 1 Kings 10. She came, and she says, I've heard about all this good stuff God is doing in your life. Tell me about it. And listen, she says, I, I believe. I believe that God is working in your life. In other words, from what you're telling me about your life, Solomon, I believe. Jesus is saying, look, you're seeing it right now. And some of you have seen it in the lives of others. Now look what he says. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. And Jesus is that someone greater than Solomon. When we did the study in Ecclesiastes, 
some of you were telling me some of the best preaching you ever heard. Man, I, I was just a Joel stand, Billy Graham. But throughout that, I kept saying, understand, as wise as the teaching of Solomon is, Jesus was even wiser. If I like the book of Ecclesiastes or the book of Proverbs, I ought to read the Gospels about Jesus. He goes on in 32, The people of Nineveh will also stand up against this generation as judgment on the day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. In other words, they were non-God people. They weren't even Jewish people. But when a Jew came and he told them, I didn't want to come here, I ran away, God turned to circumstances, threw a big fish, spit me out on land, I come and I'm telling you. And matter of fact, if you read the story, Jonah went up to watch the city. He was still hoping God would destroy them all. But he didn't love them. No emotional attachment. But he knew he had to be obedient to God. And because he did, those people in Nineveh repented of their sins. 32 goes on, now someone greater than Jonah is here. But you refuse to repent. Jesus is being very blunt and in their face. He said, I'm going to tell you what. I know your traditions. And I want to tell you, you believe in your traditions, but you see what I do. It has amazed you, but you all are doubting it. And you're crediting it that it's not of God and it comes from the devil. I want you to understand, one who is greater than all your traditions stand before you and you refuse to listen to him. 33, look what he says. Now look what he says. I mean, this is right on the end of this. So this is for you and I, see. This is for the believer to hear. He says, no one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. You see, Jesus is the light. The Bible teaches that. No one enters an experience with Jesus. Now listen to me. Enters an experience with Jesus, and then they put a basket on top of that experience. I'm not going to tell anybody I went to church. I'm not going to talk about honoring God or Jesus as Lord. I'm not going to talk about I live by the Bible and people say, how come you're so good? I'm going to just say, well, I'm a good person. See, he's saying no one lights a light. No one gets involved with Jesus and then they put a basket on it. As a kid, sometimes I heard that experience when somebody was talking too much. Someone would say, put a basket on it. I don't know if any of you ever heard that cliche. You see, Jesus is saying, you don't get into a, a relationship with me, and then you cover it up. You let it be seen. You know why? Because your brother and sister needs to see it. Your mom and dad needs to see it. Your son and daughter needs to see it. Your neighbors need to see it. The people you work with need to see it. That person who treated you like dirt needs to see it. Because everybody's looking for light. He goes on. Instead, look what he says. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. In other words, the house is you. You put Jesus on a lampstand in your life. You let him have proper place through your words, through your thoughts, through your actions. And when people ask why, you say, because something happened in my life through a person named Jesus Christ. And if they want to ask you anymore, you talk about it. But you let that light shine. Because you see, you're going to go eat lunch with people who need to see that light. You're going to hang out today and this week with people who need to see that light. You're going to do pleasure activities with people who need to see that light. Put that light on the stand and let it shine. He says in 14, your eye is a lamp. He's telling a lot of allegory here. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light, but when it is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Let me just say this. What you put these things on 
impact your life. You watch. You watch the wrong kind of things. You're going to be impacted the wrong way. You read the wrong kinds of things. You're going to be impacted in the wrong way. You, you give this vision to people who should not be observed and followed, and you're going to live the wrong way. You let these see what God wants you to see. You let these read what God wants you to read. And you make sure these are seeing the people God wants you to see. That's what he's telling us. These eyes are your lamp, your light to the body. Look at 20, 35. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. In other words, stop and think. What you're reading, what you're looking at, be careful. I've told you, I don't want you to get rid of Disney Channel. Okay? But I told you last week, I made the statement in context of the sermon, that most fathers on Disney channels are dorks. They have no sense about them. The kids are smart. Okay? You've got to be sure you're not calling what you see and what you read and what you look at light when really it's darkness. And you know it's darkness because you know what it does to you. Now look, 36, last verse. If you are filled with light, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filled, a floodlight were filling you with light. In other words, pay attention, pay attention. My mentors, whenever I'm 20, 21, taught me this. Mike, you're going to grow as a Christian. It's inevitable if you stay in the Word, Okay. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a pastor whenever they were mentoring me, okay? They said, if you will stay. And they said, whatever in your life you want to improve in, where you know you're not living the way God wants you to live, you find a mentor, a Christian, who is applying God's Word in that area, and you learn from them, and you let God's Word become your teacher. Folks, we can tell you before we had children, we went and ate with a couple who we thought was a great illustration of influence as a husband and wife with our kids. We would eat with them so we could learn from their behavior. I would talk with people who dealt with lust so I would understand how to deal with that lust that came into my life in that rebellion time. So I could find out, how did you find victory? And I'm telling you, every time those people would never say, you know, I'm just a good guy, they'd always bring me back to the Word. See, Jesus is trying to tell us, if you will take those dark corners, and you know the dark corners in your life, they're financial. They're, 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 they're areas of emotions. There's areas of, of thoughts. There are areas of sight. If you will take those dark corners, and you won't do it on your own. If you could have done it on your own, you wouldn't be as old as you are with the same issue. You've got to get with somebody, just like that little dog with that big dog. You've got to let God use somebody in your life. Just like Timothy, let Paul be used in his life. Like Silas, let Paul be used in his life. Like Barnabas took a failure named Mark who eventually wrote a gospel that Christians had given up on. And he said, Mark, you come along with me. And Mark became a soldier. Paul disliked Mark because Mark quit on him on a missionary journey. But before Paul died in prison, he writes a letter and he says, Bring Mark, John Mark with you. He's a good soldier in Christ. In other words, he allowed his emotions to be replaced. You know the dark corners. You know the dark corners. God wants to bring light to those corners. 
give attention and let God use people in your life who have found some victories in those areas. If there are those people, the right people, they're always bringing you back to the Word. You get bored with that. If you're not used to it, they bring you back to the Word because it's the Word that makes us strong and teaches us what is true, makes us realize what is wrong in our life. And what does he say will happen at the end of verse 35? He says, then your whole life will be radiant. I invite you, listen, I don't know your past for most of, or a lot of you, but I invite you to let the radiance of Jesus Christ shine through. I invite you to let the radiance of Jesus Christ shine through as you yield yourself and fill your life with Him. Not activities, church events with Him. Yeah, before we answer a question, let me remind you about uh, uh, next Sunday. In here, it says we're going to have a business meeting, okay? And the business meeting is going to deal with a motion to purchase property. The lead team's going to bring that motion. You can read about that in here, okay? You have opportunity to get some information about the property, okay? You can go, it tells in here two times, today, 1.30, 2.30, or Monday, 5 to 6. You can go to this property, Okay? It's what is known as the Clearview Baptist Church. If we buy the property, it will not exist anymore. We will be connections. It will be connections. What we do here is what we will do there. It's just going to be the permanent facility. But you get a chance to see it. Okay. Now, if you come today because it's been raining, we don't own that facility. You make sure you don't mess up their facility. Clean your feet. We're guests to those people. It's still their property, okay? So some of you are going to walk around that muddy property, okay? And you're going to try to take it in their building. You take your shoes off if that's the way it is, okay? Now, you found a brochure on your seat. I'm going to put them on the seats next week. If we vote, that brochure is just to get you thinking so you'll know what a vote means. If we vote to purchase the property, the lead team's going to lead us in the vision from God commitment going to ask if you'll make it now you may say i'm not a member well you won't be able to vote in business meeting but you can come to business meeting and you can answer questions and you can listen because you see our church is much greater than just its members and you have a right to go see the building and to ask those questions now next week when we have the business meeting i want every parent to understand this i will give you about five to ten minutes to go to the bathroom go get your kids because you're going to bring them in here okay and then we're going to explain, as the lead team wants me to explain, we're going to allow questions, and then we're going to take a vote. Okay? So you know what's going to happen next week. you got a chance to be informed. I ask you, get informed. Okay? Do we have a question? Let's, let's do one. Sometimes I space out and get distracted in church. Me too, sometimes. Sorry. No, that's just human. Should I feel guilty, and do you have any suggestions for me? I'm going to tell you. Look at now. Look. My folks didn't go to church. Okay, I don't. My dad was was smartest man. I mean, even in my rebellious years, from fourteen to whenever I got married at nineteen, my dad would make me get up on Sunday morning and go to church. He wouldn't go. That's part of the problem I had. I always called him a hypocrite. Okay. Now, whether you agree with him and I don't agree, I thought his example wasn't good. I love my dad. My dad, sixty-two, started 
39, he had received Christ, 62. He started going to church every Sunday. He started going to visit me. He started tithing. He read his Bible church. Big change. But see, when I was 14, he wasn't 62. And I just saw, you're making me and you don't have to go. And I didn't want to go to church. And so he made me go to church. What he did whenever I was 16 years old, my dad made sure I didn't own a car. Because he said that's one of the best cool tools of discipline a parent has. So he always had a car for him and mom and dad and a car for his children to use. And if you were bad, guess what? You didn't get Friday night or Saturday. And I remember Sunday mornings, I'd wake up and say, I'm sick, Dad. Because he'd have to holler to, hey, Mike, get to go back, go to church. Y'all go Sunday school in church, he'd make me do. Jeez, man, what torture. I didn't get drugged. I got beat. Okay? And he'd say, I said, Dad, I don't feel good. Okay. But you know, it's 930. I mean, 9.30, you've got to be in Sunday school. He called me about 50 minutes later. Mike, are you up? No, Dad, I don't feel good. Okay, next Friday night, Saturday night, don't expect a car. Guess where I went that Sunday morning. Now, I'm not telling you you got to do that. He's one of the wise. I'm, I raised my children in the very same philosophy. Today, they all four, three of them with their mates are involved in church, not just going involved. Okay? Priority. Taught by a man who didn't go to church. At that point. But I want you to understand. Here's how I'd go to church on Sunday morning. I'd go to Sunday school. Okay, I can tell you about that experience. Quit carrying a Bible because the teacher embarrassed me because I couldn't find a place in the Bible. So I'd go to worship. I'd stay awake during the singing because in the church I went to, it's traditional. You'd stand for a song or two or you'd sit down. And then they'd do something. Then you'd stand you sit down. Then they'd take an offering. And they'd have a choir sing or something anyway, you, you kept doing this. And if you went to sleep, you'd look sort of funny. But once the preacher started, every, I'm telling you, for years, I just fell asleep. Until my senior year in high school, the teacher made a challenging statement. You know, some of you, when we get into worship, you don't pay attention. You go to sleep. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you because God knows you have great potential. Don't I sound like that teacher sometimes? So here's what I'm going to challenge you. When you leave Sunday school, you ask God to give you a blessing in worship, especially when the preacher talks. And you open your Bible and you take a few notes. And you might be surprised what happens. Folks, it works every time. So whoever you are, don't feel bad. Connect and give your time. If somebody gets on you, you tell me, I'll get on them. We'll give you time. Because we're all, you know, it's maturity, it's you become a Christian, and this is being where you're supposed to eventually get. We're all on that journey, and some of us are here, some of us are here, and some of us are here. And if you're here or here, you ought to be so understanding with these guys down here. You ought to be like that big dog. You ought to keep going back and helping that other person. And so just give yourself time. But I would suggest that you fill out the message map, and you bring a Bible, and you circle and underline probably will help you that can help you okay i'm gonna leave some prayer we're done let's bow together father i thank you for this time i thank you for the example of this demon possessed man I, I thank you father for luke telling us about people who are skeptical and doubters and god i just pray to help us that we might have heard some things this morning that would speak to us and that father we wouldn't allow ourselves to be influenced to the point that we won't let you have your way
God, help all of us to be seen. That if we know Christ, we are to be helping those who are coming along. Maybe behind us. And we are to be supporting those and encouraging those that might be beyond us. That, Father, we're all together to bless others. Thank you for that. Help us to be good children of your King. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.